Uh, while you do that, uh, as I mentioned, just got a couple of things. As Jonathan mentioned in the video, today is Father's Day. And so uh, if you are a dad, happy Father's Day. Seriously, happy Father's Day. Yes, you can clap for dads. Like, do I, do I clap? Do I bless a father? Um, you can, you can do that, absolutely. Uh, so with that being said, I just had a couple of things for you dads. On your way out, after we're done uh, this morning, this is for, for, for all men, uh, but as you head out this morning, we got a couple of gift bags for you. In those gift bags, you're gonna find a book called Manhood Restored that's written by Eric Mason. Really good book, very practical. Uh, I have found it to be uh, encouraging and edifying. And so uh, as you head on out, make sure you grab uh, a gift gift bag on your way out. In addition to that, really wanted to give you two pieces of encouragement, fathers. These are, these are uh, pieces of advice or encouragement that I've received um, uh, as I've been a dad over these last couple of years. And, uh, and so here, here's what I would say. Number one, right? Make sure that you play with your children, Make sure that you play with your children, right? Find that one or two or however many it is, find those activities that your children love. Obviously, there are going to be things that you wanna invite them into and teach them, and I think those are some wonderful memories that you can cultivate and that you will cultivate. In addition to that, do not forget to play with your children. It not only serves as a foundation for the rest of your relationship, but it also uh, invites them or it also makes them feel included, like, like they matter because they do. The second piece of advice that I would give you that I was given a long time ago is one of the first identities that a child has is that of a son or a daughter. However, that identity is only made possible by how the father loves that child. So do not forget to love your children. Do not forget to pour yourself into your children as you play with them. It's a foundational identity for who they are and what they do, and that is determined by how you love them. So love your children, play with them, even if you look ridiculous, because you will, it's okay, it's not about you, it's for them. So happy Father's Day. Um, as I mentioned, we're in Psalm 4, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 5, and I just really want to dive into our time. Uh, I got a quick review for you, if, if you're just joining us, we started a series about two weeks ago, this being week three, uh, called Untangling the Heart. It's a series through the Psalms, and what we are doing is examining various emotions and how Scripture teaches us to not only engage those emotions, but how to engage God in the midst of those emotions. One of the things that we uh, ultimately discussed week one is that emotions communicate something about what we worship. And that's been pretty much pivotal, foundational for our time. Emotions communicate something about what we worship. Last week, we talked about fear. Got some interesting feedback 
but nevertheless, it was good feedback. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at anger. Anger has many names. It's often called the moral emotion, and it can manifest itself in a number of ways. And because you and I are so different, our approach to our response will vary. In this portion of our time, I'm just going to talk a little bit. I would encourage you not to take notes, but to simply listen for for a few minutes. I promise you there's going to be a couple of sections where where you should take notes. This is not one of them. Here's the uh, the opening question for our time. In our time, we're going to answer several of them. Here's my question to you. Would you call yourself an angry person? Would you call yourself an angry person. My argument this morning is that you and I have an anger problem. (laughs) You and I have an anger problem. And what I want you and I to know is that anger serves as an opportunity. It is an opportunity to sin, to transgress, transgress against God and others, Or is it an opportunity to worship? And so by way of casual introduction, how could you and I know that we have an anger problem? Well, I want to walk you through a couple of personalities. Maybe you might find yourself saying, yep, that's me. You might find yourself saying, I'm a combination of all of these. And maybe you're just really, really good that we need to learn from you. The first one is maybe, maybe you're the hot-tempered person. You're the hot-tempered person that says things and does things that you regret. You go from zero to 100. You launch into a bunch of carefully chosen phrases and words, some that would be, for lack of a better word, hurtful, some that are very uh, bright in their presentation. Maybe you're the hot-tempered person. Maybe you're the one that, that thinks, you know what, I, I have some anger. I'm not going to lie with you, Pastor. I have some anger. However, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. You should really meet my brother. He has an anger issue. So maybe your, your anger is more mild-tempered. And you see, the the challenge with individuals who have a mild temper is that they don't always want to dive deep into their motives, or they don't dive deep enough into what is really beckoning their hearts. Hey, that's you. Maybe you're the self-righteous one. The self-righteous one that, man, when anger comes across you, one of the ways in which you approach anger is if they only did X, Y, and Z, we wouldn't be in this situation. If they only listened to me, none of this would have happened. You love buts and becauses. Yes, but, well, I only did that because maybe maybe anger is an invader. In other words, 
You don't necessarily know how to respond when anger comes across you, and so it feels like it invades your personal and emotional space. Therefore, you don't know how to properly respond to your anger, and as a result, you tend to shift the blame. It's usually and always someone or something else. Maybe you have a lot of just anger. Maybe your thing is justice right? Where anger is the solution. There are a variety of issues. There are a variety of arenas in the spectrum of our culture and world that anger you and anger is the solution. Therefore, you need to be involved, which is a good thing. However, the irony of many people is that though they wish to speak for the oppressed, become the aggressor themselves. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are apathetic. Where when anger comes across you or others, you view anger as something that's immature. It's something that's immature, and part of the reason it's immature is because you want to keep life at a distance. I don't want to get involved with that. And the reality is is that you should be angry. You should be angry about some things, the right things, but you just don't care. So do you respond or would you say, yeah, I, I could see myself in some of those, maybe one of them. If you can, which I hope you do, then you and I have an anger problem. However, my goal this morning is not to tell you how to get rid of your anger. My goal is not to tell you how to get rid of your anger. My hope is to help you respond to your anger in a godly way because the truth is you should be angry. So let me read Psalm 4. Remember, we're looking at verses 4 and 5, and then we'll launch into our time. And here's what the psalmist says. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together uh, and praise your name, um, to, to worship you through the preached word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would not only be present, but that you would be at work in our hearts, penetrating uh, and discerning the intentions of our heart with your word. God, as we have begun to look at a variety of emotions, uh, all of us, to some degree or another, experience each one of these. And as we um, investigate and examine the condition of our hearts as it pertains to anger, uh, Lord, would you reveal to us um, our sin, but would you also comfort us with the truth of your gospel? God, I pray that as we study your word, that we would come to submit ourselves to your word and your authority so that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus as we walk out of this facility later. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. 
we're going to look at, just like we have these past two weeks, we're going to look at three sections of anger. We're going to look at what is anger or what anger communicates. We're going to look at why you are angry, or I should say we are angry. And then finally, we're going to look at how the gospel frees us in our anger, okay? And so when it comes to the first question, well, what is anger? What I'd like to do is begin by addressing a word that we looked at last week, and that is the word selah. It's at the end of verse 4, and we said that one of the definitions for this Hebrew word is where the psalmist is inviting you to stop to reflect, to think, and evaluate. And so as we examine the question of what is anger, I'm going to be a little repetitive, and that's going to be on purpose. But in the midst of that repetition, I want you to do what the psalmist is inviting you and I to do, and that is to stop and reflect. And so the question is, once more, what is anger? anger. Counselor David Powelson defines anger as active displeasure. If you want a two-word definition, that's a great one. He defines anger as active displeasure. Anger is the emotion that you and I experience, and it communicates, I'm against that. When something goes wrong, when something is wrong, when something uh, goes, comes across our table and we are displeased, you and I respond by saying, maybe not saying this, but feeling, I'm against that. It is the emotion that drives our judgment, whether it's to make decisions or put people in certain positions. It is the emotion that drives condemnation, what we're going to think about others and how we might even approach them or not. It is the emotion that drives moral displeasure. And as with all of the emotions that we will cover and that we have covered so far, anger communicates something about what we value and when that is threatened or when that is exposed anger manifests itself in a number of ways but let me be clear about that once more as with all of the emotions that we will walk through anger communicates something about what we value and how that value is being threatened and when you and I respond to it, we respond to it in a number of ways. So maybe you respond with uh, irritability. You're easily set off. Any little thing just, just irritates you. The other day, um, I had asked my son to take the laundry into the laundry room uh, and that's all I said. Take the laundry into the laundry room. I didn't tell him to get the laundry started. I didn't tell him to do anything because I already had an idea of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. I just needed the laundry transported to the laundry room. You could already hear the irritation. He comes inside and I said, hey, what took you so long? And he says, oh, I got the laundry started. Now, instead of me approaching him and saying, hey, 
thanks for uh, thinking ahead. Thanks for getting the laundry started and just maybe even dismissing it. The first thing I said was, I asked you just to take the laundry to the laundry room. Please just do what I ask you to do. You could hear the irritation or you could imagine the irritation in my voice. Why? Because I believed what he did was wrong. And because it was wrong, I communicated my displeasure with it. You might even communicate irritability when you're watching shows. Last night, my wife and I were watching uh, the start of this series called Hannibal. Some of you have seen it. And there's this one scene with this FBI agent. He draws his pistol, and as he engages his target, neutralizes it. And then he puts his pistol down. I was like, why would you do that? What if he had another gun? All of a sudden, I flared up because this dude's just doing it wrong, and I hate how Hollywood does it. That's irritability. Maybe that's you. Maybe uh, your anger comes out argumentatively. You love to quarrel. Yes, when moral displeasure or right and wrong come across your table, man, you just can't help but tell that person why they're wrong. And let me give you three points as to why you are wrong. And the truth is you like it. You even, you even know I shouldn't be doing this, but they gotta know that they're wrong. Even though I know I shouldn't have to do this, but, there it is, right? But they need to know. <laughs> they wrote the check, yes, right? Maybe it's argumentative. It's that quarrelsome attitude, posture. Okay, fine. Maybe you're like, no, that's not me. Okay, maybe you're just bitter. Maybe your anger comes across through bitterness. You know what bitterness teaches us? Bitterness teaches us that anger can last a really long time. That's what bitterness teaches us. That when anger to a, a, in a circumstance or a person comes across your way, it really starts off as an acorn. But we dismiss it, we suppress it, we don't want to address it like adults, because why? And then we allow it to grow. And that acorn turns into, at some point, an oak tree. Have you ever uprooted an oak tree? You got to remove all the branches, then the bigger logs, then you got to chop down, then you got to really take out the roots. There's a lot of work that goes in uprooting an oak tree. It's the same of bitterness, whether it was something from two weeks ago, two years ago, or 20 years ago, it's a great deal of work. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't respond like that at all. Maybe, maybe you're just passive. I already saw people looking down, right? Maybe you're just passive. That when it comes to anger, it's not just suppressed, it is unaddressed. Man, I don't want to do this. This is going to like, uh, you know, ruffle some feathers. You know, I want to be godly and not do anything. I don't, I don't think that, that makes this sense, right? However, passivity does not go without side effects. Side effects include depression, isolation, a ferment of anger, of bitterness, 
Maybe you're not passive, you're just self-righteous. Again, this is how you respond. This is how anger manifests itself in your life. Maybe it's self-righteous where, man, you have, you have an emotion, right? You have an emotion and you want to get in touch with that emotion. Therefore, you communicate it. And it's really, well, that's just who I am. That's, that's how I respond to things. All right? It's always my favorite one. When my, when my wife and I get in heated disagreements, right, um, we are both self-righteous in different ways. So I'm self-righteous in the sense that I can remain calm, keep a nice tone, and she'd be like, hey, we're going to address these things with these three points, Right? And then my wife responds by saying, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about this. This is not what I want to do. And then in my calm, humble demeanor, <laughs> right, I will respond to my wife by saying, hey, you're raising your voice. You're raising your voice. We don't do that. And then she responds by saying, I'm not raising my voice. And then in my humble, godlike demeanor, I will say, yes, you are. <laughs> In fact, one of our first arguments, she began to raise her voice, <laughs> and, uh, and I responded by saying, when you're ready to be an adult, I'll be here. <laughs> right? Just humble. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said that and so she, she starts to raise her voice and then slam the door in my face right because anger communicates something and anger our emotions don't just communicate they demonstrate something not only about what we value but obviously how we are going to respond we actually talked about this two weeks ago that our emotions motivate us to do something. Even if it looks good, even if it appears to you humble and righteous, they motivate us to do something. That although I may have used a calm tone with my wife, my heart was in a place of self-righteousness. That although my wife felt displeasure in what we were addressing, her anger led her to respond with shutting the door hard. Our, com our emotions communicate something. Anger involves all of you. And I'm not talking about all of us in this room. I'm talking about every bit of you as an individual. Anger is physical, and I don't just mean that it might lead to violence, but what I do mean is that anger is physical in the sense of your anatomy and physiology right? How do you know? Maybe your cheeks get red. Maybe you burrow your eyebrows. Maybe you clench your fists. You start to breathe heavy. Maybe even your eyes get so red because you want to address something in a way that suits you. It's physical. Anger is emotional, 
So not only are we getting red and hot, and not only are we clenching our fists, or not only are we becoming passive, but we are also getting emotional. We feel certain things. We feel that we have been wronged against. We feel like this moral displeasure has come across our table. We feel like something has gone wrong. Anger is imaginative. It's imaginative because you start to think about what you really want to say. Because when you get to that and you ask that person, like, what are you really thinking? You don't want to know what I'm thinking, right? It is physical. It is emotional. It is imaginative, not in the sense that it's not there, in the sense of what you're thinking is what you'd really like to do. And sometimes that does lead to poor action. And so up until now, I've been saying a lot of things and slightly repetitive, but the reason I've been doing that is because I want us to begin to see that your anger or our anger unchecked is ungodly, it is dangerous, and it is hurtful. And as the psalmist has invited us to stop and reflect with that word selah, I want us to continue to slow down, to reflect, maybe get some of those giggles out because at the end of the day, that's, you're like, yeah, that's me. Slow down, reflect, and I want to continue to press into our hearts with the word. So let's answer the next question. We've defined what anger is and even how it comes out in our lives. Let's look at the next one. Well, why? Why are you angry? Now, here's the truth. I'm not going to be able to tell you everything there is to know about anger and the why behind anger. There are going to be some uh, roots that you have to investigate, that you have to expose, that you have to unearth. And I promise you it's going to be liberating, but it is also going to be very difficult And so what I want to do is at the very least provide you with this 50,000 foot view of why you and I are angry. And we're going to begin by looking at two things, or actually we're, we're going to park in this section by looking at two things. We're going to be looking at something called the Imago Dei, and then we're going to be looking at the difference between godly and ungodly anger. We're going to return to Psalm 4 in just a moment, but if you want to like index that with your finger, you can go to Genesis 4. We're going to go there in just a minute. But I want to talk briefly about the Imago Dei. This speaks to the why you and I are angry. The Imago Dei is the Latin phrase for image of God. It comes from Genesis 2 when God says that he created us in his image and his likeness. And this is important because as image bearers, we reflect some of God's attributes and some of his characteristics. Namely, one of his characteristics or one of his attributes is that God is holy. That he is, that he is separate. That is that he is altogether pure and that he is altogether perfectly good and moral. 
So, why are we angry? We are angry because we're moral creatures. There's the why. We are angry because we're moral creatures that have been created in God's image and likeness. Author C.S. Lewis writes about the law of human nature. That is how you and I know what right and wrong is. He writes about the law of human nature and he goes on to say that it didn't just happen. We didn't just happen to have the law of human nature or subscribe to this law, but it is infused in us through God for us in creation. And so you and I subscribe to the law of human nature, what is right and what is wrong. Now, whether we obey is something different. That's a different conversation. Okay? And so why are we angry? We are angry because we are moral creatures that have been created in the image and likeness of God. That is why when something wrong goes or happens, you and I can say that was wrong or that is right. We are created in his image and likeness, but we can't stop there. We have to add a little something. We have to look deeper what happens. We have to look deeper into what happens after Genesis 2. Well, after Genesis 2, what happened? We sinned. We sinned. And when sin entered into our world, not only, check it, not only was our relationship with God affected and distorted, our morality became corrupted. Our morality became corrupted. How do we know that our morality became corrupted? Because we all get angry at the wrong things. That's how you know your morality has been corrupted. Rather than being angry at the right things and changing the world, we desire to be God. We desire to justify our sinful action and excuse our anger. Anger communicates and reveals idols that we hold to that you and I might even consider good. You might consider or you know that trust is good, but you elevate it above God. So things like trust become an idol, loyalty becomes an idol, the presidency becomes an idol, justice becomes an idol, desires become idols. How do we know that they've become idols? Because desires, when left unchecked, become demands. They become demands when we elevate good and godly convictions above God and Christ. So should we be angry and involved in a variety of spheres? Absolutely, we should be. However, how we follow through with that anger matters. Think about it for just a second. Could you imagine if we, as the church, were angry at the right things? What if the church was angry at the right things. We changed the world. Because not only are we operating out of our, uh, the characteristic of our image and likeness in, in the light of God, we're operating at what God dislikes. And we're actually bringing the gospel into it. Can you imagine if we were angry at the right thing? So, 
Let's look at this a little practically. So we looked at a little bit about the Imago Dei. Let's look at that practically. If you've got a Bible, jump to Genesis 4. We're going to look at godly and ungodly anger, or we're just going to look at that practically. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. And so I'll walk through them quickly, because I want you to notice four things. Here we go. Beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. This is where we're going to park. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I want you to notice four things, and then we'll keep going in Genesis 4. First thing I want you to notice is that Cain got angry. That's the first thing that I want you to notice. Cain gets angry. All right? So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. We're seeing the physical happen, right? He's getting upset. The word angry here in the Hebrew means he got hot. That means his face is getting all flustered, says his face fell, so he's getting very upset. Now, I want you to notice number two. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why does that matter? Cain gets angry, and I want you to notice the Lord doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't rebuke him. Cain hasn't done anything yet. And so the Lord approaches him and he asks him, why are you angry? He does not rebuke Cain in his anger, but he gives him an opportunity. That's number three. Continuing, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. So not only does God not rebuke Cain in his anger, God hooks him up with an opportunity. He gives him an opportunity to sin or to worship. I want you to just be I want to be very clear on this. If you do not master your anger, your anger will master you. He says it here at the end. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. 
So he's saying, hey, you haven't sinned. I'm putting it on the table. I'm letting you come to me. I'm letting you talk to me about this. I want to hear what's going on. I'm clearly seeing you get angry. Why are you angry? And then he nudges him a little bit. He puts it on the table, right? And he tells him, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. He gives him the opportunity. And if you continue to read in chapter 4, and if you know the story, what happens? Cain kills his brother. Why? Cain kills his brother because he was upset with him. So he felt anger. You see it physically. And then it leads him into action. And the action that it leads him into is a desire to be God. How he takes the life of his brother. And then when God asks him, what have you done? Do you remember Cain's response? Am I my brother's keeper? So first he wanted to be God and he takes the life of his brother. Then he tries to dismiss and excuse his anger as it's brought to his attention. What did you do? Aren't you God? I'm not me. That's not me. In that opportunity or in that moment where God put it on the table, Cain chose how to respond. That teaches you and me a lot about when anger is crouching at our door or when anger comes our way, sin is crouching at the door. If you do not master your anger, your anger will master you. So let's transition into the last question. So then how does the gospel free us then? How does the gospel free us? You see, our culture would tell you a number, thing, a number of things of how to address and deal with your anger. And the truth is, a lot of it is good. However, behavior modification doesn't address the root issue. So you can take all the deep breaths you'd like, and you can count to 10 as much as you'd like. We need to address the root issue. And it is only through the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone that can set us free because it is only Jesus that can give us a new heart. You see, as Jesus has called us to himself, it is through the Holy Spirit that he gives us a new heart. I never said you shouldn't be angry. We should just be angry at the right things. And if Christians were angry at the right things, then yeah, man, we should be angry. If we're angry at the right things. Why does a new heart matter? A new heart matters because it leads us to repentance. And repentance sets us free from sinning in our anger. And it frees us to graciously extend mercy. You cannot do that apart from a new heart. Once more, counselor David Powelson defines mercy, and he says, or he defines it as constructive displeasure. 
Mercy is constructive displeasure because it intervenes with love, justice, and constructive anger. In mercy, ungodly anger does not dominate. And so for the Christian, how do we operate out of mercy? Because by definition, mercy means displeasure. So there is anger in it. But in addition to that, mercy is also constructive. So if you love practical application, here's the four. We've looked at what is anger and how it might come out in our personalities and in our daily life. We've looked at the why, that we're moral creatures created in the image of God and our morality has been corrupted. Now we're looking at how the gospel frees us and that is through a new heart so that we can respond appropriately to the anger that we will experience. And now we're looking at mercy. So how do you and I operate in mercy? Here's your practical application. Some of you are like, yes, can't wait. Tell me all the practical things. Just tell me what to do. We're going to look at four things. I'll tell you them, and then I want us to go back to Psalm 4. We're going to look at patience, forgiveness, grace, and then constructive conflict. Here we go. When it comes to patience, I want you to look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. If you and I are going to begin, or if you and I are going to demonstrate mercy to one another and to others, it begins with patience. It begins with Selah, stopping and reflecting on what's going on. It's going to begin with patience. Patience as you examine your heart, patience as you address one another, patience as you address others. It begins with patience. Second thing is forgiveness. See, mercy is patient. Mercy is forgiving. And so as we ponder in our own hearts and on our beds and as we are silent, especially when it has come to others sinning against us, if we are going to respond mercifully, it begins with patience and forgiveness. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Yep, you're right but it doesn't end there. The third thing is grace. Look at verse five, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Jesus is the final and perfect sacrifice and he gives us grace so that we could freely extend that grace to others. What is grace? Grace is undeserving favor to people who sin against you. That is what grace is, undeserving favor to people who sin against you. If you belong to Jesus, you have been given a new heart, which means you don't have to give grace, you get to give grace. And finally, constructive conflict. Put your trust in the Lord. You're not going to be able to control how someone else is going to respond. 
However, that does not mean that you do not insert yourself into the situation or conversation for the purpose of redemption. Now, when we look at these four things underneath mercy, patience, forgiveness, grace, constructive conflict, these are all things that we do in order to exercise mercy, but these things are not foreign to you and I as much as we'd like them to be because Jesus displays and demonstrates mercy through patience, through the forgiveness of our sins, extending us grace when we don't deserve it and entering into our conflict, angry at sin, motivated to redeem his creation for his glory. Jesus displays mercy because he loves sinners and suffers. That's his motivation. He loves sinners and suffers and demonstrates mercy. Peter writes it perfectly. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Church, listen, mercy is not a free pass. Mercy does not mean passivity. Mercy is an invitation to turn and repent. So Christian, who or what are you angry with? Does it involve mercy? You see, God in Christ has saved you, making it possible for you to receive grace and mercy so that your ungodly anger would not dominate you, which means you get to give grace. You get to give mercy. And if you don't know Jesus, he invites you to come to know him. His mercy to you is an invitation to repent, to receive forgiveness, and to receive a new heart. Apart from Jesus, your anger will consume you. So turn and repent. Remember, anger is an opportunity to sin or to worship. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, just going to put it on the table. Each one of us here is angry. Each one of us wrestles with, deals with, struggles with anger. And Lord, if we're honest, we don't always respond to it appropriately. We hurt people that are in front of us. We isolate ourselves from community and family. We harden our hearts. And unlike the psalmist, we are slow to turn to you, but quick to anger. God, in your grace and in your mercy, would you, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us of our ungodly, 
unrighteous, corrupted anger. Lord, you have created us not only uh, to reflect not only to reflect you, not only as image bearers, but you have created us so that we would point others to your grace, to your mercy, to your glory. And God, we fail when we respond poorly in ungodly ways. God, would you forgive us of our self-righteousness? Would you forgive us for neglecting Jesus? Would you forgive us for ignoring your word? Would you forgive us for embracing the gospel as a convenience rather than a transformational grace? Lord, my prayer is that this morning we would approach you in confidence, surrender ourselves to you, Lord, and confess our sin before you. God, I pray that those who know Jesus would come to know Jesus better this morning. I pray that in this time of prayer and confession that our eyes would be fixed toward Jesus. And God, I pray that those who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus this morning. I pray for hearts to be redeemed, minds to be renewed, eyes to be fixed on the person and work of Jesus. God, would you sanctify us in the area of anger? God, would you lead us through your spirit to be angry at the right things? Would you lead us to be angry at the right things, the things that you are angry about so that you would be glorified so that you would be reflected, so that you would be spoken about, and so that the church would be a herald of your gospel, so that the church would be a herald of mercy. Sanctify our hearts this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, please continue to be at work in us. Don't don't stop, and may we not stop growing in our sanctification. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.